Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, I love Zoom because we're doing podcasts with people all over the world. And it's four o'clock in Utah on a Wednesday, and I've got Thomas on Zoom, and it's like 8 a.m. in Brisbane, Australia on Thursday. Is that right, Thomas? Yeah, it's nice and early now in, um, in Brisbane, in Australia. So Thomas is going to share his story as um, a gay Latter-day Saint. He's the first Australian I think I've ever had on the podcast. And I'm grateful that we're bringing forth voices like Thomas's courage to do this um, as a Latter-day Saint here in Australia. And perhaps that resonates with other Australians that um, need Thomas's example in their lives or people throughout the whole world. Um, Thomas, how do we say your last name? Um, it's pronounced Asiunga. And will you spell that for our listeners? A-U-S-E-U-G-A. And um, I'm kind of a guy that likes ge- geography, so I had to figure out the latitude of Brisbane, which is 27 degrees. Um, and then I had to figure out where that is in relation to the United States. And it's below Miami, so you're closer to the equator than Miami is to the equator by a little bit. And yeah. Tell tell us where you are in relation to Sydney, Australia. Um, Sydney is down south or southeast. I don't know. I'm not actually good with maps. So there's south of you. I think it's about a ten hour drive from here. So when I, w- I we went to Sydney once, my wife and I, and I realized. You were way north of us, and it wasn't just a short drive, like you said. It's a long yeah. drive, and but you yeah. are at least on the same side of Australia, this massive continent yeah. um, that we only spent a few days there. Our son served in Sydney, Australia, and we have a oh, connection nice. with that part of the country. And that's how I got to know Joshua Dean, because he was in the same mission as our son. Tell our listeners who Joshua Dean is and his role to put this podcast together. Um, Josh Dean is a friend. We've known each other for a couple of years now. Um, I think he's he was companions with your son, Richard. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Or at least in the same cool. mission. I can't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, when I came out on social media, Josh kind of reached out and asked me if I wanted to be on the podcast and said that he could set it up. So grateful to him and shout out to him for making this happen. Joshua Dean seems like a pretty good ally. You know, I we became Facebook friends because I just sort of connected with my son and some of his missionary friends. And um, he's been really thoughtful in messages to me and trying to, um, as part of being a good Latter-day Saint, being a good ally. And I thought he's done a good job. But anyway, Thomas is going to share his story. He's a return missionary from the Philippines. He's in his 20s. He's going to talk about just his journey to share his story um, to your mom a couple times. And I just, even though I do so many of these podcasts, every time someone joins me via Zoom, I'm just struck by the courage it takes to be out and then come out on social media like you did earlier this year and now to be on a podcast. And I just am grateful for... Um, those of you that are listening that need to hear the voices and stories, especially if you're closeted and younger of of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints around the world. And so our joint prayers, Thomas's story will help you. Also, if you're a local leader or parent, 
Thomas's story will help you. Every story is different. And I'm going to hear Thomas's story for the first time. And I bet we'll all hear things that are unique um, to Thomas in his story. So is that okay for an introduction? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, once again, thank you, Richard, for, for having me and for creating this space for people to share their stories. Um, yeah, I like the introduction. So I guess I'll start with like my early, early life. Um, I was born in the church and raised in the church. Um, my mum and dad have both returned missionaries and married in the temple and um I'm one of one of eight children, um, so I have a lot of siblings. Um, Mum and dad got divorced when I was five, I think, and then so dad lived kind of dad lived here in Brisbane, and we lived in Melbourne, um, which is twenty hour drive from here. Um, but I, I grew up; I had a pretty pretty good childhood, pretty happy overall. Um, I had really good examples of of faith throughout my childhood, and I guess that came from my mom and from dad, who have always been striving to live the gospel and been worthy of going to the temple and, and things like that. And my auntie and uncles as well, who have always been super active in the church. Um, so I've always been surrounded by the gospel in a really positive way. Um, always had photos of Jesus in the house and we've always done family home evenings and said prayers on on meals and before bed and so very, very active family in the church. Um, I would say my first my first time sort of experiencing same sex, sex attraction was about 10 or 11. Um, I remember just kind of, which I recognize now these feelings as like me having a crush for someone. I am um, one of my teachers at school. He was a student teacher. Um, and I remember just being, I really liked him uh, and he was an art teacher. So we, we kind of bonded over art. Um, not that I'm like good at art now, but um, <laughs> he, yeah, I really thought he was cool. And I just remember thinking about him all the time and thinking how much I liked him and how much I liked being around him. And now as an adult, hindsight, I'm kind of like, that was probably my first crush. Um, meanwhile, all my other friends uh, and my peers are sort of looking at, talking about girls and and having girlfriends and things like that. And even at like a young age, young as 12 and 13, um, I just felt different. Like I didn't feel like I wanted to like talk to girls or anything like that. Um, so, yeah. Oh, were you going to say something? No, you're doing good. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think around about this age as well, I started getting bullied at school and sort of got picked on from people. Um, and, like, I'd get called an array of different names, um, whether it be, like, church boy or or gay boy or, or whatever. Um, yeah, kids were creative. <laughs> um, but I think... I experienced a really negative dialogue around gay people from a really young age. Um, and that, that was coming from everywhere, really. And like my brothers, you know, 
you know, boys will be boys and like they picked on me and I picked on them. And so it was like this back and forth from school and from like home life and pretty much everywhere really. There was just this continued gay di- this dialogue of negative um, perceptions around gay people. Um, so this kind of takes me to about like, 14 and 15, I um, I was watching a TV show one time. You might know it. It's called Glee. Have you heard of yeah. it, Richard? Yeah. So I watched Glee as a as a 14-year-old and I saw this, this boy on the show um, who was gay and I he was kind of annoying but, like, in a funny way. And I felt this like I felt, I felt like I resonated with his character a little bit. And for me, I think this was the first representation of a gay person that I saw on like mainstream media or like in film and television. Um, and I think in that sort of as I'm watching him, I was kind of like, oh, like maybe I'm gay too. And I remember, like, sort of thinking, like, no way, I, I can't be gay. Like, I go to church every Sunday. I, you know, pass the sacrament. I'm trying to do all these things. Like, out of all the million people in the world, I'm not the one that's gay. So <laughs> um, I, I sat on these feelings for a couple of years, from about 14 to 16. I just had these this feeling that, like, I was gay, but in denial about it a little bit. And at this point, the dialogue surrounding gay people was getting like a bit much for me. And pretty much anywhere I went, some someone was saying negative things about gay people. And so I thought in my mind, I was like, okay, well, being gay is bad. That's all I hear. Then it must be true. So I would pray at night to Heavenly Father and ask him to not make me gay because gay equals bad. And I would cry myself to sleep at night wanting him to change me and wanting to be different and wanting to just be be normal like everybody else that I knew. Um, and I, I just felt so so bad all the time um, and my, my self-esteem and the way I viewed myself was not great at the time. Um, and I think also around this time, like I'd go to church and hear like people say like the gays and the lesbians are trying to destroy the family and things like that. Um, so I, I really took that hard because I'd go home and, at night when I was like crying, I'd I'd think like I love the church so much. Like I love going to mutual and going to young men's and things like that. And like I wouldn't want to do anything to like hurt the church. Like I felt like this monster that was like trying to destroy the church, which isn't what I intended or what I wanted at all, because I love the church. Um so as a as a you know 15-year-old, <laughs> there was a lot of pressure on me, I felt. Um so eventually, around 16, a couple of years of dealing with the, these intense emotions, I kind of went to my mum and 
um, I was just crying one night and she was, she was like, what's going on? And took me a while to tell her, but like, I just told her I was gay and, and, um, her reaction was, um, like positive in some aspects. She told me she loved me and that God loves me. Um, but I think my mom's sort of understanding of of gay the of the gay experience and being gay was a little bit different to now the understanding that we have now. Um, and she kind of reinforced with me that I'm not gay. I just think I am because that's what I get called at school and that my brothers call me gay. So it's just this idea that's been sort of drummed into my head a little bit. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I chatted with mum for a couple of hours that night just on her her bathroom floor, just crying and telling her about my, my feelings. And mum um, booked an appointment with the bishop the next day. And we saw, we saw him the next day. And um, I told him I was gay. Um, similar sort of like conversation. Um, he gave me a pamphlet. Um, I can't remember what it was or what it said. I think it was about same sex attraction. I can't remember, but, um, yeah, he kind of sent me on my way and we didn't really talk about it again. And, um, same thing with my mum. We didn't talk about it after that. Um, and like chatting with mum now, mum's sort of mindset around it was, like if she doesn't talk about it, then it won't give that idea power, and you know it won't it won't be true. Um, just jokes. <laughs> so yeah, I came out to my mum when I was sixteen and my bishop, and sort of went on living my life. And I was a bit shocked and a bit surprised that like we didn't talk about it again. Because it was kind of a big thing that I I told my mom and my bishop and kind of thought they'd want to like talk about it some more, but they didn't. Um, so kind of yeah, continued in my teenage years, feeling like I was kind of rejected a little bit. Um, and this kind of takes me to, I guess, my young adult years now. And about 18, 19, my, my brothers were, I've, I'm a twin, Richard. I didn't tell you that earlier. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my twin and my other older brother both were starting to go on missions. Um, so we were going to mission prep together. And as they started their mission papers, it just got too real for me. So I was kind of like, nah, I'm not going to go on a mission. So I'll stop going to the mission prep class just because I I just didn't have a desire to serve a mission at the time. And also being gay, I didn't think I could either. Um, that's me being in like the mindset that gay, gay people are bad. So I'm bad. So I can't go on a mission. Um, and I think around about this time, once they, they both left on their missions, they also both got called to the Philippines as well, um, which is funny. 
And so they left on their missions. It was the first time I'd probably been away from my twin for the first time in my life. Um, so I felt independent. I felt like my own person now. Um, and so I, I made some friends within like the YSA community. Um, I was living in Adelaide at the time as well. Um, so met a couple of friends. Um, I ended up telling my best friend at the time, I think when I was 20, I told him that I was gay. Um, I also had a crush on him as well. So I was kind of like, if I tell him I'm gay, maybe it'll go away. Um, it didn't go away. <laughs> um, and his response, he was he was a bit shocked. Um, like he didn't see it coming and like he didn't see the signs. Like I mostly like pop music and like Taylor Swift and even that like didn't like throw him off or like make him think I was gay or anything. So <laughs> that was funny. Um, he was a good support to me in like my early 20s. Um, and he initially he kind of said like, okay, like I don't know anyone that's gay. Um, I'm going to need a couple of days to sort of process all of this. And so he took a few days to like internalize it and, and think about it and sort of got back to me and was like, okay, like we can still be friends. Cool. <laughs> um, so that was, that was nice. That was positive. And he's been a good, good friend ever since. Um, at this point, I decided at 21, I would move to Melbourne. Um, so Adelaide is down south, and then Melbourne is, like, next door, eight-hour drive. Um, I, I can't tell you where that is from Sydney. Oh, wait, no. Adelaide to Sydney is about 10-hour drive. Different direction to Melbourne to Sydney. Um, that, that might not, not be right, though. I don't know. <laughs> don't quote me. So I moved to Melbourne just because just I felt like all my friends were getting married. And I needed to, like, get out of town and start a new life sort of thing. And I had friends in Melbourne, and I, I was actually born in Melbourne, so I sort of grew up there for 10 years. Um, so I moved to Melbourne, made some new friends. Um, one of my other best friends lived in Melbourne as well at the time. I came out to him when I was 20, I think 21. Yeah, 21. And he was really good emotional support for me in Melbourne. I'm really grateful for him for that. Um, and throughout, I lived in Melbourne for two years. And throughout the two years was really just me having spiritual experiences and coming to understand the spirit a little bit more and how it speaks to me. Um, and at, at this point, I had been me at 21 I had been avoiding the missionaries from like 17 up until this point because <laughs> whenever I would see missionaries they'd ask me if I'm going to go on a mission and that was always an awkward conversation um so I'd avoid it at all costs um and I think throughout my time at Mel in Melbourne um I was living with some people some members why I say that weren't super active. They were just kind of casual in their, their church attendance. And so was I at the time as well. I would go to church on Sundays, mostly late. Um, if there was food after, I'd be there for the food um, <laughs> and the social times, and then I would kind of leave. But at this point, I wasn't 
really involved in the gospel as much as I am now. And even my prayers, my prayers were lacking a lot as well. And just like my knowledge about the gospel wasn't super solid. Um, so I had a prompting to go on a mission when I was 22. Um, at this point, I thought it was super random. I was like, that's really random. I'm 22, like I'm too old to go on a mission now. Um, and I, I doubted myself and my abilities to teach people and share the gospel in a in a successful way um, because I felt like I didn't know anything about the gospel. So I was working with my bishop to get my mission papers sorted and and done and submitted. There were some barriers at the time that were just proving to be hard for me to get my mission papers in, and I, I think that that is sort of involved the people I was living with. They weren't super, like, church-affirming or, or positive towards me going on a mission. I felt like I was really um, torn down a little bit by them. Um, and, yeah, around this time where I was struggling to get my mission papers submitted, um, I had a good friend reach out to me and ask me if I wanted to move in with him, which I, I was like, wow, this is a blessing. Um, so I, I jumped on that opportunity. I moved in with my friend Hayden, um, Hayden Young, for anyone that knows him. Um, and Hayden really helped me just get my life in order and prepare for my mission. He is a good example of faith. He's very diligent in all aspects of his life. Um, so I'm really grateful to, to him for helping me in that preparing period for my mission. Um, so eventually got my mission papers in, um, I was called to the Philippines Quezon City North mission in the Philippines. <laughs> um, and right before I left on my mission, I went back to Adelaide to stay with, um, my mum for a week before I left. Um, and I, I remember telling my mum again at 22 that I was gay, that I was still gay. Um, and this was, I guess, a confronting conversation for her because she kind of had thought that it went, it would go away if we didn't talk about it. That's why she initially stopped, um, talking about me, talking to me about being gay when I was 16. Um, so yeah, mum reinforced that conversation with a lot of love and, um, she, mum didn't know anyone that was gay. She had a companion, not a companion, she had a friend from her mission who came out gay after, after their mission and, um, is now married to a man, I, I believe in, I think he lives in New York. Um, so mum has never really had anyone in her life that's gay except for that friend. Um, but she'd never really chatted with him about it. So this was really the first conversation and exposure to anyone that's gay in real life. Um, so, yeah, so I had that conversation with my mom, sort of re-came out to her, um, which was, like, annoying to have to do, but, like, I guess the process for her to understand. Um, 
So I left on my mission June 28, 2018. Um, so I went to Manila, Manila um, MTC, where I learned a lot about Jesus Christ and about the gospel and about even like Joseph Smith. I learned so much and it was such a, such that six week period in the MTC learning a language and learning about the gospel was so important for me because I felt like, yes, I've been a member the whole, my, the whole lot, like the whole time in my whole life. But like when you go to class every Sunday, but don't listen, you don't actually learn anything. <laughs> So I felt like this was really me learning things about the gospel for the first time, um, which was pretty pivotal in my like faith journey and my developing my relationship with God. Um, and I would say that was my whole mission. My, my whole mission was a, a catalyst for me developing my relationship with Heavenly Father and with Jesus Christ and being able to serve other people and um, experience a new culture and it was yeah I loved my mission and yeah it was it was difficult and I, I guess I realized pretty quickly that I appreciate some of the finer things in life and third world country living wasn't really for me but like I stuck it out for the whole time <laughs> um, and I had some really really good spiritual experiences on my mission and I'm really grateful for like all my companions and things and same-sex attraction didn't come up really once on my mission um just because I was it, it wasn't about me and I was too focused to like be distracted um so yeah loved my mission I actually it's funny because on my mission I have a close friend one of my best friends who I've grown up with who I told I was gay I told her I was gay when I was 21 before I left I thought about her every day on my mission um and I thought that I was going to marry her um and so the whole two-year experience of my mission I was like okay I'm gonna so finish my mission and then I'll go home and marry her and because I'm having these thoughts on my mission that must be revelation um I finished my mission in 2020 I came home 12 weeks early because of COVID-19. Um, didn't get reassigned because I was 25 at this point. So my stake president was kind of like, we think you should just move on and get married. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> um, so coming home and having this idea of this girl in my head that I was going to marry and sort of seeing her for the first time and like catching up on, on life and the the chemistry that I thought would be there and the feelings that I thought would be there weren't there. So I was a little bit disappointed over that. But also I was kind of like, well, this is inconvenient a little bit um, because this kind of ruins my five-year plan of getting married and having kids. <laughs> um, so that didn't work out. We're still best friends today. Um, so I, I returned home to Adelaide. Um, so Richard, I've lived in three different states. I've lived in I live in Brisbane, lived in Adelaide, lived in Melbourne. So I was living in Adelaide at the time. I was home. I started school pretty much straight away. I'm doing a bachelor's of social work. Um, 
So coming home, Adelaide, just for context, Adelaide's like a small city and there's not really, in terms of YSA, there's not really many. There's probably like, there's three states in Adelaide um, and active YSA, I'd say they're probably like less than 30 and that's in the whole three states. So when we would do institute and YSA activities, it would all be together. So I came home, kind of assessed the dating pool and thought, there's literally no one here for me to date. <laughs> um, and also I was 25 and everyone else was 21 because anyone that gets older in Adelaide, they just moved to a different city. Um, so I, I was at school. I tried dating for about 10 months in Adelaide. I mean, I said tried dating, but I went on one date and then I was like, yeah, that's enough. <laughs> um, so I decided pretty quickly that I needed to move to a different state. I decided that if I'm going to get married to a girl, it's not going to be with anyone here, so I need to leave. So I decided I would move to Brisbane, which is up north. Um, I made that decision, and two weeks later, I, I packed my car and I moved. So I moved to Brisbane in 2021. Um, one sec. Moved to Brisbane 2021. Um, I knew some people up here through YSA conventions, which for listeners is a convention at the end of the year that we have here in the church where all the YSA from Australia get together in one state. And it's a week-long um, event of just like dances and devotionals and lots of fun activities. So we had those every year at the end of over New Year's. Um, so, you know, at my age currently, 28, I've been to probably seven of these. Um, so I, I know quite a few people around Australia. Um, so I moved to Brisbane, instantly made some friends. Um, one of my best friends from Adelaide moved up here as well, so it was good to have her here as well and be that emotional support for me. Almost immediately when I moved here, I met someone who also experiences same-sex attraction to some degree, um, and he, we became really good friends really quickly, and he was the first person I had ever known that felt the same way that I felt. Um, and we became really, really close to the point where I would have called him at the time one of my best friends. Um, one day he kind of said to me that he had developed some feelings for me and that he was attracted to me, which this was a new experience for me. I'd never experienced that before. Um, because I'd never dated anyone. Um, and so him telling me that was kind of confronting a little bit because I'd also felt the same way, um, which was a bit of a barrier because, like, we were friends and I didn't want to, like, mess anything up. Um, so we continued being friends to a point, however because of this mutual attraction, we kind of had to decide 
that we shouldn't be friends anymore because it was too difficult to just be friends and not do anything physical. And um, I feel like if we continued in our friendship, that's kind of where it was going to go. And he kind of initiated the let's not be friends thing. I was okay to like bury my feelings and not talk about it. Um, (laughs) But so, yeah, this was really the first sort of person I'd ever known that felt the same way that I felt. And that was at the intersection of, of faith and sexuality and trying to figure it out. But I guess our friendship at the time wasn't really conducive to successfully dating and marrying girls. Um, and he was dating girls. And I was, when I moved to town, I got asked out on quite a few dates, which is nice. Um, I didn't really want to go on these dates, but I still went. (laughs) And it was really the first time that I was proper dating in my life. So going, going on dates with these girls that were asking me brought up a lot of anxiety for me, um, for multiple reasons. Like one, I wasn't attracted to them at all. And then two, I would be crying in my car on the way to these dates just like having an anxiety attack because I did not want to be there. I did not want to go. And like, if anything, I wanted to be, I wanted to date this guy and I didn't want to date these girls. And I think also like I've, when it comes to dating, I've always kind of had like a dichotomous way of thinking around it. Very black and white, like dating equals marriage. So I felt a little bit, a bit, bit dramatic, but I felt like going on these dates was me getting into an arranged marriage. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, these sort of dates went on for a little while until I kind of decided I didn't want to do it anymore. And this friend and I had sort of, we had stopped communicating. We're basically not friends at this point, but for a purpose. It wasn't just for, for no reason. And um it honestly it felt like my first like proper heartbreak us not being friends and that relationship ending and I think a big a big reason it was such a big deal for me is because I built this um, emotional attachment to him based on the fact that we both know how each other feel and we we're feeling the same pain so yeah we stopped being friends he eventually started dating and ended up getting married and married to a woman who's who's great and happy for him. And then he moved to a different country. And so after he left, I was kind of like, okay, well, if he can get married, I can get married as well. So I, for the first time in my life, I was going 110% with the dating and I found a girl that was really cool and we got along really well. We both served missions in the same country, so we we had a lot to to bond over. And um, we went on probably like three or four dates over like an eight-month period. Um, Yeah, I kind of worked slow in that department. (laughs) But um, we got along really well. So in my mind, I was kind of like, surely this isn't just happenstance. This is God's plan at work. God wants me to marry her. <laughs> which is funny now looking back on it um because we 
really only went on like four dates and I asked her out again and she kind of said that she just wanted to be friends, which I was like very, I was sad about because my whole like life up until this point, I had based on like the fact that I was going to get married and that I was going to have kids in the temple, have kids and then get married in the temple, sorry. Um, And then I guess her saying she just wanted to be friends was confronting because that idea and that life that I had created in my head was taken off the table a little bit. Um, I haven't, like, voiced this to her. We're still good friends today. (laughs) And I I haven't told her, like, my thought process around it all. Um, so this will be a nice surprise for her when she listens. Um, so we are still friends and yeah, she's awesome. Um, but after that experience, I kind of decided that I wasn't going to date girls anymore. Um, just because it was, it was too, it was too anxiety inducing for me to go on dates with girls because of like, I guess the expectation, but also the fact that I wasn't attracted to them and I couldn't give them what they wanted. Um, So, and I guess a mix of that experience with her and the experience with this guy that I was actually attracted to and felt a physical attraction and an emotional attraction, having that experience and then going to date girls and not feeling anything was kind of a sign to me that like maybe I shouldn't be dating girls anyway. So I remember praying about it and asking Heavenly Father, what do I do now? Like I've I've tried dating girls, didn't work out. I have no idea what to do. And I felt, actually I didn't mention this, um, but when in 2020 when I came home from my mission, I came out to my mission president um, and he was really loving and said all the right things to me, which was exactly what I needed to hear. And he's such a good example to me and someone that I look up to. And I learned a lot from him. So I wanted to be honest with him. Um, and after that conversation, I had a prompting to come out to tell that I should tell people that I'm gay. Um, and I kind of pushed it aside, which is something that I do when I get promptings. I just kind of like, nah, I'll do it later. <laughs> Um, so I pushed it aside and wanted to try and make things work with a girl, but it didn't work. And I was confused as to why it didn't work. Meanwhile, I'm still having promptings on a regular basis to come out. (laughs) Um, so I guess when things didn't work out with this girl, I decided, okay, maybe I will come out. And I weighed up the pros and the cons and the pros weighed out the cons. And I felt like no one comes out in Australia. Like I don't know any, I, I know probably two or three people in the church that are active and openly LGBTQ plus. So it wasn't something that I'd seen. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be the first one to do it. <laughs> um, but I just, you know, through, I guess, prayer and fasting, and like these promptings combined sort of led me to that decision to come out. Um, but there were a few things I wanted to do first. I wanted to 
talk to have have conversations with people and like I wanted to tell my dad and my stepmom and my siblings and a few other close friends before I did it. So I decided mid last year, I'm done dating girls. I'm going to come out, and that was June. And then June to about January was when I came out publicly. Um, but I hadn't told my siblings, so I, I decided I wanted to tell them. Um, I ended up just putting a group chat together with like my dad and my stepmom and my siblings and just telling them all in one place. Um, just because I kind of thought like if there's like negative backlash and rejection, it's best to get it from the one space rather than from <laughs> nine different places. Um so I told them they all kind of told me they loved me and they support me, which was what I needed to hear. And I thought after that, I was like, well, if I can come out to my siblings who haven't been, I guess, super positive towards gay people throughout my life, like I can tell anyone now. And so I did. I started telling friends that I was close with and I chose a date to come out publicly, which was, I think, February 19th um of this year so only two months ago um and yeah I came out um I was with my my best friend Sam at the time in my kitchen as I was posting on Instagram and Facebook and yeah it's it's been a really good experience it's been very positive and I've I've been just surrounded by so much love from like friends and even people that I'm not really friends with that have expressed they they liked my post and they love me and there's a place for me at church and yeah so a lot of a lot of nice things were said and that's kind of where I'm at with everything um so that was a long time of me talking <laughs> this is a unique story i've been deeply moved thomas seriously um You've been alone, maybe more alone than by far most of my guests. Um, being in a country and a faith in that country that there's just nobody walking your road and and most of the content being negative towards you. Um, you've been on this road for a decade. I'm glad you're alive. I don't know how dark it got for you. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about that? What was the darkest time for you? Um, thank you for saying that. That's really nice. Um, I don't know. I'd say like I've always kind of had like like my mental health has been really good throughout. And that's not to say I don't have dark days because I do. And like I do feel down sometimes about like my my situation and sort of where I'm at with things. and. Um, for the most part, I think that I've been really blessed with a support system that has just been in my corner and I guess like through friends and I've been blessed with pretty much anywhere I go, like any state that I've lived in, I've had a best friend in that state at the time who have been really, really accepting of me. And I think after things with, with that guy, that that relationship ended, I, I started praying for a, a new friend and someone that could sort of take that role of a best friend. And, you know, that, that, that prayer 
came true and I made quite a few new really good friends that have helped me and even like as as I was younger I think like my mum knowing that I was gay but us not really talking about it I still felt love from mum all throughout my life and from from my my parents and so I, I think that's really important um I have a really good bishopric at the moment and a, a bishop that's really loving towards me and really, really inclusive. And his counselors are awesome as well. And I have good relationships with them. And I think the people that I, I fill my life with sort of help me to be in a healthy space with, in terms of my mental health. And um, I don't know, I guess I study social work and I plan on going into counseling after I graduate. So yeah, I think I've just always kind of been in a, a good place with with it all. I and I know that's not the case for some people, but I've been really blessed in that sense. And I think I was thinking about it the other day, and I think the atonement has helped me a lot. And the atonement has helped me heal from the shame that I felt as a kid. Um, so utilizing the atonement leaning on Jesus Christ, having faith in him has helped me to like not be sad all the time and have hope and have hope in the future. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> I love, you know, there's so many unique parts of your story. Every story is so unique listeners. And I just, this is just sacred ground. Just, it's just, you know, your courage to talk about your story is remarkable on your long journey to come out to your mom, then friends, a mission president, church leaders, um, then publicly is remarkable. It's a credit mm -hmm. to you, Thomas, but one of your hallmarks is prayer and your relationship with God. And when you didn't quite know how to navigate this, you recognized that you could always go to God and you would get consistently get answers. And, and then you just kind of, went out and did things to see if that would improve your experience. And I like that you didn't go on your mission when you didn't feel you're ready, but then bravely did go on that mission and served. And a lot of people I talk about that are not straight, um, that's a good time for them because no one's dating and it's sort of this brotherhood or sisterhood and focusing on people to come into Christ. But and it's usually a very good time both to help other people, but the personal growth. So I love that you did that, but then you came home and sort of dealt with this again. I There was some things that I thought were really helpful. I probably would have done what your mom did if if I could go back in time because I'd want to protect my son or my daughter. And, and thinking not talking about this would be helpful. And this is a phase that will pass. And I think... You know, when we know better, we do better. But most of the people, when they come out to a parent, want to continue the conversation with the parents. So I think it's good when, you know, someone comes out to a parent or a local leader or friend, we sort of, as part of that conversation, say, how can I help you along this road? Would you like to consistently talk about it? Do you want to inter inter initiate the conversation? Do you want me to? So as part of that initial conversation, you sort of establish expectations for ongoing conversation. And it might be a parent would say, I'm just here when you want to talk about it, or 
maybe you have a set chicken time and or maybe it's a little bit of back and forth. But I thought that was really interesting. And I think the assumption your mom had and a lot of people would have is this idea got planted in your mind, Thomas. You're really straight. And you watch Glee or you got bullied or your brothers called you gay. Um, and so somehow this planted in your mind and you're really a straight person that's in a short-term phase. And if we just quit talking about this, um, you'll eventually be straight. <laughs> and and you're smiling. And I think you help us all understand that, you know, and you're, you, this is, you know, you're your hardwired sexual orientation. Um, I thought it was really brave of you to talk about that early crush. I mean, a, a crush listeners, in my opinion, is a pretty normal thing for a straight person or a gay person. And no one should feel shame about a crush. Um, straight people and gay people are going to have crushes. And that's just part of being, that's just part of mortality. And there should be no sin or shame, but you're right. If you're a young gay person and you're recognizing you have a crush to someone of the same sex that can be pretty jarring and create a lot of shame and i love that you incorrectly but you logically thought i am a bad person because all i hear about people like me are this is bad and i'm a threat this is where i get pretty emotional thomas is your teenage self coming back from church and trying to connect the dots between gay and lesbian people are bad and they're a threat to the family. And, and you trying to think about, Oh, wait a second. How am I a threat to the family? And how does that make me feel? And do I want to talk about this? And I respect for you not getting really suicidal and really in a dark place because some would, because they just, the, the shame and the self-loathing and wanting to escape the situation. So that's an invitation from both of us to not go down that road and you didn't and I'm the world's a better place for you. I love some of these people you've bravely opened up to, even your straight friend that said, I got to think about this for a couple of days. I love in a way he didn't just say, I'm out of here. This is something I've, I'm, this is weirding me out and I got to separate myself from Thomas. I love that he recognized that, I want to be Thomas's friend. And I love these friends. Some you've mentioned by name, Hayden Young, I think, and others that were just people in your life that were safe for you to talk about. And um, they didn't leave. Maybe some did, but a lot didn't. I like you talking about your efforts to date women and try to make that work as well as you could. And I think this sort of having a a, a romantic crush, an emotional and physical crush on your friend. I don't look at that as a setback in your journey um, or something that's, I don't think you feel shame about it. Nothing, nothing happened there that was outside of church teachings. You both just had a crush on each other and it, it's a normal thing in society. But I like the way you talked about that and you recognized, sort of clarified for you the difference between dating women and what you're feeling with this guy. And so I look at this as a positive experience in your own journey to better understand who you are and what's going to work in your life. And so I look at all of this as just clarifying who you are and your best path forward. And um, I like, you know, your last girlfriend that you really felt like we really can make this work. 
one of the things I try to say, say listeners is, you know, you can't hear somebody's other story. I think it's good to hear other stories of LGBTQ people, but then you got to write your own story. So you sort of talked about your friend that made it work with a woman, and that's a legitimate path. But I think that works better if people really feel called to that path versus, you know, I think you felt like that could work for you, which is good. But I don't think you forced it to the point that it really wasn't your story. And you recognize that's not going to be my story. It may be possible down the road, but right now, it doesn't sound like your story. So I think that's really good. You're just writing your own story, and it's a very unique story. And there's nobody in Australia that I know that is out like you are. That's a Latter-day Saint participating in the church. And I have to think the number of conversations that have been generated by you, Thomas, in your family. I mean, you talk about your mom, which is probably typical of a lot of people, Latter-day Saints in Australia, that don't know a single gay Latter-day Saint. So there's no proximity and no sort of having to listen to somebody. But I have to think the conversations that are occurring, good conversations about people know you, they love you. Um, it's not some this theoretical bogeyman that we're created. It's it's Thomas. We know Thomas. We love Thomas. We know his heart and his goodness and all he does for good. And so I think it creates a lot of conversations in your family and your church community all throughout Australia. And then that's a good thing because I think it helps prepare um, people for others that are going to come out. There's a lot of younger Thomases in Australia. <laughs> um, so those are just some of my thoughts. Keep sharing more thoughts. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Firstly, I just wanted to clarify. Um, she wasn't my girlfriend. We didn't get that far. <laughs> <laughs> good. Clarify that. She was someone yeah. you were dating <laughs> that never became your girlfriend. <laughs> we went on four dates. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I definitely have not had any real like negative experiences coming out to anyone. I'd say aside from probably one church leader, but it wasn't even a negative you want experience. To it's like I came home from my mission. I told him I was gay. He was kind of like, oh, you know, being gay is like a mental illness. It's like you're in an invisible wheelchair. And I was kind of like, oh, what? Like. <laughs> Um, it was a bit awkward because I'd never, the whole time I'd, I'd been coming out to people, I've never had someone say that. So it was a bit confronting. I went and cried in my car for like 20 minutes. But I understood that this is his understanding and this is his knowledge around the subject. So I'm hoping now it's been a couple of years that he's had more exposure to LGBTQ people and his understanding of it has changed. Um, but he reinforced that conversation with love and said that God loves me, he loves me, wants me to be a part of the ward. So, like, it was positive in a sense that he loved me. It was just his understanding was a bit different to mine. Um, in terms of the conversations that have sparked since coming out, um, yeah, no, I've had friends approach me and say, hey, like, I've, and I'm sure this is the same with, like, my close friends that have never known anyone that's gay. So they've never had to think about this experience. So now knowing someone that is gay has like made them wanted, has wanted, made them want to better understand the experience so that they can better accommodate someone that is LGBTQ that might come to their ward or their branch or someone that they work with that they can 
empathize with and help feel visible and seen. Um, so that's been really positive. And I think also as we learn to understand and empathize and accept LGBTQ plus people and people that are different different to us, our capacity to love and understand grows. And ultimately I think that's what Christ like being Christ like is about. Um, you know, you grew up in a culture where it was normal to make gay jokes, and um, I, I sense that's part of the culture of our church and and our and our where we are in different countries and family cultures. Some doing better than others, but I, I just recognize as you're talking about that, that was a pretty innocent thing on everybody's level, except it was a closeted gay person listening to those jokes and those your brothers probably regret that now and your family does maybe i don't know you have to say that but i just think you know as i read the new testament read the life of christ he didn't do any of that um i think to be the kind of people that christ wants us to be there is no place in if we're a follower of christ for making jokes about people that are different than us on any level i think one of the best measures of our discipleship is if we're consistently saying kind th- things about people, not just people that are like us, and but people that are different from us. And I think of the woman at the well. Um, I think of all the examples, um, the Canaanite woman that Christ was with, all the people he was with that society said he shouldn't be with, and the kindness he showed to them. And that part of his ministry is a template for us on how we should treat people. And um, we should assume there's gay people listening to everything we say, Um, because if they are closeted gay, they're hypersensitive to the things we're saying. And and it makes it really hard to come out if we're, as a parent or as a local leader, um, in any way saying unkind things. And I started to say kind things about gay people as a YSA bishop. And this is a little, and one of the, on social media, just linking to the things the church said on their website. And I didn't have any more gay people come out to me, but it was interesting. A lot of, you know, maybe 20 straight YSA said, okay, I can talk to this guy. Um, he can handle the complexities of my life and the things I've never opened up to um, with the priesthood leader before, because if he's going to go on social media and say kind things about gay people, I know what kind of person he is and that I can trust him with the realities of my life. And that's a powerful principle as a parent or as a local leader or as a friend. And so if we're always bagging on the other political party or bagging on whatever, it's easy to do that in a polarized society, but I don't think Christ did that. And so that's part of the credit to you. Steve Young you know, who's this American, I don't know if you know who Steve Young is, an American football player, and people mm-hmm. in America know him, and he's LDS, and he's kind of one of, you know, an NFL Hall of Famer, and he just talks about you guys being his warriors, the true, some of the true warriors for the work you've done to navigate the complexity of being gay and LDS, and sometimes in a political crossroads, crosswinds. So, um, have you ever... Uh, have you ever asked Heavenly Father why you're gay? 
I don't ask that question very much on the podcast. And have you ever gotten an answer? Um, yes. And like I've, yeah, I'll ask Henry Father, like, I mean, especially when I was younger, um, why I'm gay and like what the purpose is. And especially, I think 2021, especially as well, I was kind of like, what's the purpose of this? And like, what was the purpose of this experience or that experience? And I think, I don't know, I'd say my answers come not immediately. And like, I'll have an answer come to me and then I won't even know it's an answer until I look back and proper think about it. And I think me being gay has almost forced me to be more empathetic and loving towards other minority groups and marginalized groups that are often excluded. And I think my love for, for, for them and those groups are, you know, I attribute that to me being gay. And I feel like, especially like moving into my like profession after I graduate, I feel like this has, um, this is you know happening because of how I feel and because I am gay in my experiences and I have an opportunity to help other people and especially now being out I can help others understand this experience and increase their desire to you know love and understand LGBTQ plus people so. And I'm sure there's other answers that I got that I can't remember, but <laughs> that's one that kind of stood out. It's a pretty thoughtful answer, Thomas. It, it, you didn't really answer that question in the context of you, but in the context of how it helps you help others. How cool is that? Yeah. How cool is that? And the professional work you're going to do and your understanding with your clinical work and your own lived experience. Um, you're the wounded healer we talk about in the podcast a lot. A minister's okay. service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of a desert by someone who's never been there. And uh, you know the desert of being on the margins and how we talk sometimes about people on the margins and um, navigating the paradox of that. And I think you've done a remarkable job. You have no owner's manual, Thomas. There was nothing given to you at age 15. But in a way, there was, because you just can't went back to prayer. And I love your thoughts about the atonement, that it didn't make you straight, but it healed you from shame and a feeling of brokenness. And to me, I love that part. I love the atonement and the, the doctrine that Christ descended below all things and that he knows your shame that doesn't come from God, <laughs> um, comes from society or Satan making you feel bad for how you just normally feel and that you feel broken. And I love that you found healing in the atonement. And, but I recognize you answered that question in the context of how it's going to help others. I bet there's language in your patriarchal blessing that talks about this and your gifts to help others. And I think you're your best self you've ever been, Thomas. Um, I think you coming out publicly and you did that in a really thoughtful way, came out to family and friends and 
I love that you did that on a group text. So everybody kind of came out new at the same time. And then you came out publicly. I think this is a huge sort of, a, you know, shift that you're just owning this. It's a normal part of you. It's just too, part of who Thomas is. And you just get on with the rest of your life, knowing that everybody knows about this. It's important to you. And I think it makes the rest of your life possible. And I think the shame and the self-loathing, but it's a lot of work you've done to get to this point. I would guess your 15-year-old self could never imagine you would have done this. Talk to your 15-year-old self, that kid who was just realizing he might be gay. What would you say to your younger self? Um, well, honestly, I wish I had someone that, you know, a role model or an example that understood what it was like to feel same-sex attraction at that age. Because really at 15, that's like 2010, I think. Like, actually, I'm not that old. Um, yeah, I don't know, 2011. Um, there were like no resources at all, really. Um, so I'd tell my 15-year-old self that, you know, life gets better and that God loves me and he, he really does have a plan for me. And to just keep pushing on and like there's there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You're on on God's side and God's looking out for you. Um yeah, and I think also just letting my 15-year-old self know that there are so many people that I haven't even met yet at that age that are gonna love me just the way that I am. And I'm pretty sure most people knew that I was gay before I even like told everyone I was gay and they still loved me and they still accepted me. Um, so yeah, really grateful for that. And I hope someone that maybe is listening that's at that age understands that, that they have such a, a full life ahead of them and a lot of, a lot of possibilities and a lot of positive things coming their way. I love that. Um, I just, you know, I talk about this on the podcast, if some of you are an regular listener, that I think shame is one of Satan's greatest tools to separate us from the love of God. And you have felt a bunch of that in your life. And it's not sin-related. It's just orientation-related, something you can't control. And my feeling, listeners, is everybody needs to look in the mirror and feel how they're created is the way they're supposed to be created. And that nothing's, this isn't a mental illness, obviously. Nothing's gone wrong here. Yeah, it makes your life more complicated as a Latter-day Saint um, than your straight friends. Um, there's no um, getting around that. Um, and we need to build empathy and understanding around that. But just think, if you listeners, if you're not straight, you need to look in the mirror and recognize that you're created as intended. And nothing's gone wrong here. And I don't think that changes doctrine or policy just puts everybody on the same moral footing because um, we should be on the same moral footing. We're all divine children of heavenly parents. Um, I think of the gathering of Israel. I talk about that a lot <clears throat> is I think of the couple, maybe people in the Philippines that you found. We probably first think of the gathering of Israel being your work as a missionary and maybe your service in Australia in YSAs to gather people into our faith. And, and to help them the blessings of the restored gospel. But I also think about our own members that are LGBTQ. And Thomas, you're Israel, and we need to do a better job of gathering you. And 
and there's no place for gay jokes. Um, people should be flooded with positive comments about LGBTQ people and their families and in church. 90% of what they should hear would be po- should be positive. And I don't think that confuses a straight kid into being gay. I think it just helps people know they're safe and they can open up and we can walk with them at an earlier age. Um, I know two people in Adelaide, Phil and Judy Howes. I don't know if you know them by chance. So they were um, our son's mission president in Sydney North and have been in our home and we love the house. Yeah. Any, I think they were the temple president. Yes. For a little while. So I, I met them at the temple. And then when I came home from my mission, they were, I think, looking after Institute. Yes. Yeah. So I love them. Right. They're awesome. So um, they sure blessed our son's life and, um, talk anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that comes to mind, Thomas? Um, I think just on the shame that you mentioned, um, I think spending years trying to um, pray the gay way like, doesn't work. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> um, I also think that I, based on like the voices of lots of like negative voices and the influences of Satan sort of telling me who I am and, and uh, I'm a burden and same-sex attractions like kind of ruin my life and all these other influences. I think I've spent years trying to deconstruct this belief system that was created based on those voices um, and through, I guess, the gospel and understanding the atonement has sort of healed that that belief system and especially like you know there's the simple truth of the gospel that i know to be true that are that are reinforced every time i go to church like that you know god loves me god has a plan for me and the gospel is inclusive of everyone and the atonement is for everyone and can be accessed by everyone doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is or the color of your skin or your abilities. It's for everyone. Here's a question that comes to mind. I haven't asked a guest in a long time. You know, I don't, if there was a button in front of you, a, a blue button or a red button, and you could push it to be straight for the rest of your life, would you push it, Thomas? Um, hmm, that's a difficult question. At this point, I'd say probably no, because, like, that means my whole life will change and, like, I've gotten pretty used to this one and my understanding of things and I am who I am because of my experiences and I feel like I have the ability to help others with the experiences that I have and the knowledge that I have. Um, Yeah, I'd say no to that. I thought you might say that. I, there's not a right answer I'm looking for when I ask that question, listeners. I started to ask that question when I first started to meet with gay people. And, um, you know, some would say, sure, I'd push the button. It would, it would provide relief. This is a tough road. But some that have been on this road a while get to kind of the point Thomas is where they don't like think this is something that needs to be carved out of them. It's part of their essence. It's part of their gifts and their Christ-like attributes and the things we talk about in chapter six, I think, of Preach My Gospel. And yeah, it complicates their life. Um, 
but they don't want it carved out of them because it's not like something that is a bad thing that needs to be carved out of them. Now, everybody's going to feel a little different like that. And it's not my job as a straight person to sort of tell everybody how they should feel about this. It's my job to sort of hear um, different stories. But it really, I was really stunned, to be honest, Thomas, the first time someone told me they wouldn't push the button. And it helped me to understand, um, it just shifted something for me. Um, I wouldn't push a button to be gay. I mean, but um, I thought, and I thought that's a good thing generally, that you wouldn't push this button. Um, and because of the reasons you said so. So that's just, that's all another podcast lesson listeners we could talk about. But I like the way where you are. You're just a really deeply emotionally mature, spiritually mature, and you're still in your 20s. You're not sort of in your 40s, 50s, sort of getting to where you are. Because I think that makes the rest of your life possible. I love that you're in college. If we call it college in Australia, <laughs> Um, I love that you're in university and working for a bachelor of social work and you're going to help a lot of people and you already are helping a lot of people. I would guess there's a lot of people that could say, Thomas has always been kind of my go-to guy that I can talk to about real stuff and he gets it. And um, I don't know sometimes why he gets it, but he just can, he just gets it. And I think that you're smiling. I think that's true. And I think you'll continue to do that. And, um, and I just, you know, trust you that you will know your best path forward, Thomas. And I think you're in a position to write your stories of, as a, in a position of faith and, um, with deep maturity to know your best path forward. That's, I think all I have to say listeners is I'm looking at my notes here, Thomas, anything else you'd like to share? Anything I said that didn't quite sit right with you, you want to make sure. Um, I don't want to put anything into your podcast that you were yeah, quite no, okay I think with. You said all the right things. I've felt really comfortable on the podcast. I think I don't really, honestly, I don't know what the future holds for me. I, I don't know if I date men now or if I stay celibate or what, but I know that one thing I'm certain of is that I, I want to have a relationship with Heavenly Father and with Jesus Christ and, um, the best way for me to have that at the moment is by following the gospel. And I know that that's not a one size fits all for everyone. And like our journeys of faith are different and mortality is different for everyone. And um, it's going to look different for everyone. But for right now, that's sort of what I'm where I'm at with things. And um, grateful to you, Richard, for creating this space for LGBT plus people to be able to share their journeys of faith and their stories and um, these podcasts have helped me a lot throughout the years and so it's a bit crazy for me to a bit surreal for me to be here now and be sharing my story um but yeah I think moving forward I'd really like to see my church communities increase their understanding and love for LGBTQ plus people and the congregations to just be welcoming to everyone love that. Um, tell I'm going to sign off, but I want you to say your last name. So this is Richard Osler and Thomas. Asiunga. Apparently, I say it wrong, but like that's I don't know. Uh, Asiunga, is that right? Yeah, that's close enough. Close yeah. enough. He's giving me the benefit of the doubt, and I'll post this on social media, listeners, and I'll you know we'll tag Thomas on Facebook and Instagram. So if you want to, you know, 
reach out to Thomas, especially if you're in that area for any reason. You know, I just try to make our guests available for you um, to be a resource to. So act on the impressions you felt as Thomas was sharing his story in your life and um, in your circle to help influence others for good. And this is Thomas and Richard signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.